This week on the Push Pull Loads podcast, we have one of the top people to follow in fitness in 2017, psychologist Dr. Lisa Lewis. It's 2017, guys. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Push Four Legs podcast with myself, Damik. And me, Tom Hall. We've and got we're... a guest today. Here we go. From... Oh, <laughs> Lisa Lewis. <laughs> Lisa Lewis. We've got a guest with us today, Lisa Lewis, all the way from uh, America, um, who luckily hasn't had to stay up late or anything for this podcast, which is always good. Um, so, yeah, Lisa, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's uh, I live in Boston, Massachusetts, where I'm sure it's much colder than it is over there right now. But I'm <laughs> home for the holiday week. So just having a very relaxing, quiet week. Good. Well, it's zero degrees here at the moment, which... Oh, it is? Yeah, yeah it's, it's like it's, zero. It's cold. It's yeah. freezing. It's freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind about that then. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so this is, like I said, the first episode of 2017. So 2017, hopefully we'll see um, a lot more guests come on the show. Tom's going to pull some strings. He's got some, uh, hopefully. you know, some celebrities in the fitness industry. So, um, well, well Lisa, Lisa being one of them. So um, <laughs> we've uh, obviously, I'd like, we, we, I think we actually spouted this back when we reviewed the Strong Mind, Strong Body Workshop on the podcast because I was there and this is where I met Lisa for the first time and uh, basically we we did make it a goal to try and get her on um, because we wanted somebody who's credible to talk about psychology and we've had quite a lot of people come at us and come at us and message us about it and realizing that me and Dan yeah we coach we do all this stuff but the psychological aspects is probably one I mean maybe a module in our university bachelor's degree we did nothing in our mm -hmm. master's degrees about it um so there's there's a lot of stuff that we have no idea so lisa if you'd like to give kind of a brief overview of what your kind of things are in fitness and what you work as and what you do um yeah that'd be great sure <laughs> Yep. So my background by trade, I'm a mental health professional. My bachelor's degree is in psychology. My master's degree is in clinical psychology, which is really a focus on mental illness and problems and how to go from a deficit to being kind of normal or baseline. And my doctoral degree is in sports psychology and counseling psychology, which is a focus on mental health and how to help people go from normal um, or baseline to thriving, performing well, being happy, achieving goals, those kinds of things. So what's been great about my education is I've studied the whole spectrum of mental health, and I like to practice in that spectrum. So currently I'm the associate director of a counseling center at a university here in Boston. And I get to see students who come in with anything from a breakup to a first psychotic disorder. Um, so I really get to practice as a generalist. And then in my private practice, I focus partially on seeing athletes or people who are interested in more of like a life coaching um, sort of service than a mental health service. And I also am a certified alcohol and drug addiction counselor. So I spent years working in detox and rehab facilities and also have some clients who are trying to recover from some kind of addiction. 
Wow, cool. <laughs> you're fully more qualified than me and Dan to talk about this. Clearly. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's safe, safe to say you're qualified to talk about psychology yeah. and psychological issues, which is which is kind of why I think we wanted to have this podcast. And we'd been meaning to do this, like I say, a while ago, and it's, it's great we managed to get around to it now, is because we see a current trend in the fitness industry um, of, in my opinion, uneducated, unqualified people um, talking about... Um, often psychological issues really or psychological problems that people have um, and one of the popular ones is this this thing called mindset um, which is a popular guruism unfortunately that's now been sort of made sort of um, into people's kind of speciality even though they have no background in some kind of psychology mm. um, so yeah it's great to hear that we've got someone on who is qualified to talk about these these things and the fact like you say you work with athletes and take people from where you, what you described from normal to thriving is, is I guess, what a lot of people are going to be interested in. Um, yes. So maybe the people who are probably struggling to, be, to get them back to what pe- most people would call normality. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of that, is there anything, um, have you worked with elite level sports people to that point or is it just everyday students and everyday general pop? In graduate school, I worked with some teams. So I spent a year working with um, different athletic teams and doing things like working on group cohesion, working on just performance enhancement, really um, how to help people improve their foul shot or their concentration or focus in a game or uh, team dynamics, those sorts of things. Currently now, the athletes that I work with um, are powerlifters. Uh, tend to be more kind of in the fitness realm or individual athletes who are trying to improve upon their own performance and are coming in identifying some kind of mental roadblock, I I would say, Um, as opposed to like a coach approaching me and asking me to come in and and talk to an entire team. So that kind of leads on to, actually, I'm going to skip to one of, uh, so I've written actually guys the podcast uh who listen we've actually got a kind of script here um <laughs> we're actually gonna follow first time, first time first ever, time ever. <laughs> yeah great um but i i wanted to actually get your your thoughts on bodybuilding and powerlifting because i guess that's a topic mm. that basically me and dan talk about at length we've both competed in i like, me powerlifting me and dan bodybuilding and is there like so in terms of competition and training etc is there any advice on kind of competition or training that you give um without using the the term mindset so much um yeah is there any kind of advice that people should be looking for for like maybe leading up to a competition it's hard to give very general advice um generally when i'm talking to someone and trying to understand what, what they're needing help with i'm learning about how they are their own mindset guru because typically athletes in, in this genre are very much in tune with what their self-talk is, what their mental skills are, what they're stronger with, what kinds of things get them off their game or psych them out or make them choke. So they typically come in with a lot of skills and a lot of kind of introspective knowledge about what's helpful and not helpful. And then I try to have a conversation with them about where they're getting stuck and, and what are the ways to kind of tweak what they're already doing to improve it. So my approach is really, you are the authority on what's going on inside of your head and how can we use the data that you have and the experience that you have to improve what you're already doing. Um, If there's anything that I would say that I give as advice, what I find usually is that positive experience leads to improved performance. So anything that makes somebody feel more productive, 
more happy, more relaxed, any kind of positive affect typically leads to improved performance. Um, and anything that is negative self-talk, beating yourself up, things that make you wicked anxious, those things tend to decrease performance. I think sometimes in fitness, we have like a more is more or intense is better kind of an attitude. So sometimes I think athletes will push themselves to places where they're, they're miserable or they're not happy or they're not enjoying what they're doing. So if there is any general advice I seem to find is like, that actually is not working for you now that we're unpacking that and talking about that. How can we dial it back so that you're actually in the zone and you're in flow and you're, you're feeling like you're doing a good job? Because feeling good and having a positive emotional experience is actually going to help you to do better. And I think that we don't always consider that when we're in our own minds and we're thinking about how to improve. I think sometimes we go to a place where we're like, you know, let's punish ourselves, let's push ourselves harder, let's really crank it out, as opposed to treating ourselves really with self-care and more kindness. Yeah, I guess that's 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 probably that, that was that was one thing I took away from the strong body thing, um, amongst others, was showing in terms of a client thing, um, showing your client success and more likely are they are to succeed. And actually, you you talked a hell of a lot about client retention and actually understanding your client on that workshop because we were a, it was a whole group of personal trainers. At the end of the day, if mm-hmm. you can't retain your clients, you're going to be a crap personal trainer because you haven't got a business. Um, mm-hmm. So I think showing your client success is one thing that I certainly teach in our seminars. I mean, you've, you know, Luke Worthington as well. So myself and him do seminars together and we talk about regressions of exercises and we're like, Mm -hmm. this is the point of the program is, or programming that on our aspect, even if someone is, is kind of a motor moron or is toilet at some exercises or can't do it, we're going to give them something they can do. So they come back and they do it um, is one of the biggest things that we'd, we really try, try to drive home with like this kind of exercise continuum that we keep spouting on about. But it's yeah. it's definitely something that yeah when from the strong mind strong body thing. So the guys go sh- show your uh, clients some success and that will actually. Uh, did do you have that with Dan? Your nutrition guys, do you have to show them? Yeah, some success? I think I think I think nutrition. I think more so than than training. Sometimes that it's really important that you enjoy the experience because the three DMJ guys talk about it a lot with like bodybuilding is like. Yeah, you've got. You might have a show coming up in a year's time, but at the end of the day, you want to be competing in ten years' time. You don't want to just do one show and then never do one again because you hate mm-hmm. the process so much. And I'd rather place dead last in my next competition, but be competing in fifteen years and maybe win one, than maybe come like third but kill myself doing it and hate the process and never ever want to do it ever again because I hate mm-hmm. dieting anymore. And and that's the whole thing is that people forget sometimes that we're in a sport, and the same things apply. And you ask any person that's at the top of their game, they're enjoying what they're doing. Um, and I don't think bodybuilding or powerlifting should be any different. I think some people um, sometimes seek motivation from the wrong places. And yes. you, only have to go on, you only have to go on Instagram to see the, oh, if it hurts, keep going and it hurts more. It's like, <laughs> no, that's not helping anyone. It's not um, making anyone better. And and it, we live in a world where, unfortunately, if like you say, if you're not the hardest per- working person in the room, you're not hating life, you're not working hard enough. And it's... Um, it's upsetting that that's the view that people take with both training and nutrition. And when you combine the two together and you're, you hate training, you hate nutrition, there's not a lot that you're going to look forward to um, in, in your life. And I think with nutrition more so is that I've got better results with my clients when um, they see progress month to month rather than maybe 
in two months time i make them lose 10 kilos it can be done it's easy to do but for me because i only have to type a few things in on, on a computer but they're the ones that have to live it and do it and actually i'd rather they lost 10 kilos in two years and, ha- and enjoyed it and loved the experience then lost it in two months but hated me hated dieting and then put it back on and some more it's easy um, to hate you though dan it's much easier to hate you uh, yeah exactly i'm just i'm just a guy <laughs> that eat less so it's, no one likes me but um but yeah i just think that's the whole thing is that you have to and that more so with me recently doing my recent show is i really enjoyed it because i i again what lisa said is that before when i've done it i was very much negative about the whole thing i was like oh this isn't good i don't enjoy this i don't like it and all i had to do was kind of like actually go no i do enjoy this i do want to do it and by making it a little bit easier on myself and focusing on the good things rather than negative things I enjoyed the process and I can now see myself doing it for years to come because I did it a slightly different way as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you say, you have to, you have to enjoy it. Otherwise you'll never, ever carry it on. Um, and unfortunately a lot of the stuff we see in the industry at the moment is people giving out plans and advice that is just not fun for anyone. Yeah. On the side of yeah. that. So uh, with your, I mean, a lot of the uh, work that I found on the World Wide Web of your work, Lisa, is heavily based on kind of women. Is that is that correct to say? I would say I've been asked more about women and have been asked to write more about women in particular than um, than about men or about general population. I don't know if that's because I am a woman I or think, I think probably, um, yeah. <laughs> if because also I think the psychology or how we're socialized around strength training um, is kind of wacky when it comes to women. Um, and one of the first things I ever wrote, I wrote on Tony's blog was about how kind of screwed up the whole idea of women's fitness um, is or was, you know, at least a couple of years ago. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why I wouldn't say it's like a specialty of mine, something that no. I've spent more time thinking about or reading about, but um, is it also do you think more. is it also do you think that men are just less likely to open up about it do you think it i think because personally i i've got a couple of male clients who have opened up to me a little bit and they've sort of said i've not told anyone else how hard i'm finding this so i don't want to mm-hmm. appear to be showing that i can't do it or i'm weak in any way and i think that's also part of the problem is that actually maybe women are more likely to open up about these things or these issues they have whereas men can be very much i'm fine there's nothing wrong leave me alone I think there's pros and cons. I think there's pros and cons to uh, strength training in particular being viewed as a more masculine endeavor than maybe a feminine endeavor. So with women, even though it might be harder for them to approach strength training or to think they belong on like an elliptical machine or with those little two pound pink dumbbells, there is more room for them to talk about how the issues that they might face when they're strength training. Whereas for men, it's supposed to be egocentric. It's supposed to be, you're supposed to be masculine. You're supposed to go to the gym and pick up heavy things or you're supposed to train or, uh, particularly now, I think when we see so much more, um, strength training and men like actors and models who are like very physically built. Um, I think in the seventies and eighties, there were much more men who were just like slim and, and not to say like, guys who were jacked so I, I think there's even more pressure on men now um to strength train and to be able to lift heavy weights and to have a certain look um so there's less room i think for men to be able to talk about it i think a lot of the things i've written probably could apply to men just as well as they could to women um so i think you're on you're right on there 
yeah, it does. It does seem like because <laughs> I think I was I read uh, just a bit on what was like girls lifting um, dot com or something like that. It was something. Uh, girls gone were, strong, maybe. Girls gone strong. That's the one. And the whole the whole thing. The premise was obviously all about women. But to be honest, you could have stuck it on bodybuilding dot com, and it would have been the exact same thing. Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit. Um, it's it's odd that that's the take home that. They're try- obviously you're trying to get more women into lifting. That's the whole premise of the site, I'm sure. Um, yeah, which, it's which a is, double-edged sword. Yeah, it's 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 odd because I get I guess it's it's a, it's a weird way to do. It's I don't know. It's an odd divide as you as a woman do you always say to other ladies you should get into strength training or maybe as us guys we're like all right you should be yeah you should be joining us let's go for it. And if, is it us that's intimidating or is it the women that are really good that are intimidating? Um, I don't know. I think it. I think it has to do with how we're socialized. I think yeah. that we, without even acknowledging it consciously, I think we receive millions and millions and millions of cues from either the media or, or what we see peers or older people doing um, when they exercise. So if I know nothing about exercise and I walk into a gym, what do I see? If I look at where the elliptical machines are, who's on those machines? Um, are there more women on those machines? Who's in group exercise classes? Like who's going to Zumba? Who's going to um, kickboxing? Who's going to step classes? And then who's in the weight room? Who's over by the free weights? Who's using the, the deadlift? Who's using the trap bar? You know, who's in the squat rack? And then h- how do I understand that? So from a very early age, I would say, I don't know, maybe age 13 or 14 or 15, whenever you start watching people exercise, you're exposed to certain genders are in certain places. And that's all, none of that, it, you don't have a trainer coming over to you and saying, okay, you're a female, you belong over there by the little pink weights and in the Zumba class. But you're picking all that up all the time. And when you look in magazines and you see, even in athletic magazines, how females are dressed compared to how males are dressed or what exercises females are doing, the whole idea that there's women's fitness versus men's fitness, I think that's the double-edged sword because the way that Girls Gone Strong reaches women is by saying that this is a website for women, this is content for women, we want women to be strength training. The other side of that is, is there really a difference between women's fitness and men's fitness? There's plenty of us who would say like, no, you know, <laughs> you got to get strong, you got to work on mobility and stability. And um, so we have to reach women. And, and one of the great ways I think Girls Gone Strong does that is to say this is for women. The other part of that is is as you're getting someone on board and, and they're buying into the idea that I don't have to be over in the ellipticals, I can be over where the free weights are, is is educating them so that they understand like there really isn't a difference between what I should be doing to look how I want to look and how that meathead over there should be training to look how he wants to look. In the grand I used, scheme. <laughs> I used to love I used to love when I when I used to train people because me and Tom used to train obviously in the same gym. And uh, there's no there's no better feeling for me than when you used to take like a 50 year old female client. And you go right, we're going to go deadlift today. You mm-hmm. take her into the squat rack, and there's all these guys in there who've never deadlifted in their life. You know, they just stick to arms and chest, and this, mm-hmm. she's in there bossing out. You know, 60, 70 kilo deadlift. You, you know, you just and for me as a trainer, there was no better feeling because you, you I knew that I was empowering her and that she was she felt like she belonged there, and we'd have a laugh and a joke, and it was there's again for me as a trainer, they're the highlights, not like 
again, no offense to, to guys or anything, but like, you know, one of my guys, you know, doing a bodyweight squat wasn't really an achievement. It was like, okay, well, well done. It's great. And, you know, but I used to celebrate the females doing it more so because it's, it's a big thing for them. And it is something that for them, just entering that room and entering a squat rack is an achievement in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than a guy going on elliptical, for example. And, mm-hmm. and they, they were the times that I used to really enjoy training my clients, especially females is, um, is the feeling they got from, from that session and the feedback you used to get. And they, they enjoy it a lot more, um, mm-hmm. because they've, they've overcome so many boundaries, um, by doing that. And, and the gym we used to work in was very accepting of that all the trainers were very much that way. Um, all the females kind of did what they wanted in terms of strength training and, and being in the free weights. But I think, um, on that as well, I do think that female train trainers certainly, um, sorry, female athletes are very quick to tell you whether they're enjoying it or not. Um, whereas I think guys again will very much just go, "Oh, let's just do it." And I'm like, "Well," and I have to always ask my male clients more than my females. Do you actually enjoy this? Do you want to carry on doing this? Do you want to change something? Is this yes? Are you enjoying it? Are you having fun? Do you want to change anything? Whereas my female clients will tell me straight away, "Actually, this isn't working. I want to do something different." Or you know, not obviously just sort of flippantly every week, but um, if they've got a genuine concern, whereas guys kind of just tend to just go do whatever you tell them to do because mm-hmm. they assume that they should be in pain or they should be unhappy do- doing something that you're telling them to do. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think females are really, really good. And I think in the fitness industry that in the next few years, they really will thrive because they're not afraid to say to a trainer, especially actually, I don't enjoy this or I don't want to do this or I do want to mm-hmm. do this they're often the ones telling me I want to go heavier. I want to do more, um, more so than, than the guy sometimes, which is great. I really enjoyed that. I was a trainer. Yeah. I think things are starting to change. And even I remember when I was in my early twenties and starting to try to learn how to train on my own, the only real magazine that I saw women that I wanted to look like was in like muscle and fitness, which is like women who looked more like they were maybe bodybuilders as opposed to other American magazines here are like, shape and fitness and other things where women just looked very, very slim. Um, And now I think that's different. I think when you see athletic ads and you see commercials and you see even advertisements for like women's fitness gear that you see more muscular, athletic looking women and you see them doing things that are maybe they're more reminiscent of like a CrossFit type exercise, but that's very different image than seeing a woman like jogging or on an elliptical trainer. So I think the choices have really opened up and I think you're right I think with men there's like a should like I should be grinding it out or beating myself up where women might feel like this is an active choice I'm making so I can take a pretty active role in saying what I like and what I don't like and choosing <laughs> yeah so with um with all of that in mind is there any in your professional life obviously if you've got any uh confidentiality and you're going to say anybody's name but is there any big uh, success stories that kind of stand out for you in terms of who you've helped or they've gone on to you. So you're saying you're taking them from like normal to being awesome. Um, is there anybody mm-hmm. that's anybody that stands out or you, you don't mind mentioning or any, cool, um, any cool stories at all? I I'm like having many happy stories come up into mind <laughs> and wanting to protect people's confidentiality. I, I yeah. guess the main the main thing is to hear somebody go from having a really negative experience where um, they've had a failure at a lift or a certain weight, you know, they, they've they failed at um, and really talk about how damaging that is to them and then take that back into their training and be tentative when they're approaching, say, like missing squat at a certain weight. Um, and, and then kind of every time they're training that squat thinking like, 
I'm not going to be able to hit this weight or next time I compete, I'm not going to be able to hit it or kind of getting a roadblock and being able to work through that um, and train to success and then execute that lift at that weight in the next competition. I think that's a real success because it has absolutely nothing to do with how strong that individual is or their ability to lift that weight because all the math and all the logic and reason says that they should be able to. It's really what's happening inside their mind. And so to be able to like talk about something so abstract as your own opinions and your own expectations and to be able to work through those so that you can have a successful um, and happy experience in a competition, that is really those are really my most fulfilling moments in working with athletes is that they feel that they have some kind of control over something that felt like they just can't get over it or they can't, they haven't been able to deal with it in the past. Yeah. I can see that Dan's biting his lip here because pretty much what you just described is something that's happened to me twice. And Oh really? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, probably. Please let me tell the story. Uh, you can Please tell the story then. It was probably like two years ago now, right? I think um. I think Tom's bench press was stuck on ni- 97.5 kilos for about uh-huh. a year. For about uh-huh. a year. And like he tried everything going, like changing his stance, changing his technique, and he just couldn't hit 100 kilos. Obviously, you yeah. guys use pounds, but I guess 220 pounds is probably still a, a milestone. Um, he's yeah. just shy of that and just couldn't do it. It must have been like, it must have been nearly a year, Tom, I swear. I, and yeah. I, again, I don't know what it was. I don't know how you managed to just get over it. I think you just stopped training it for a few weeks and just went and did it i can't remember now but it was the fact you stuck so long i mean the process was like because we were were just testing and then it was just a roadblock where i hit and then all the numbers like everything all the math worked out i was like i can definitely do it i know i can do it we smashed Mm -hmm. triceps for about like we're like all right you've got to work on the block pause it's like we'll pause we'll do some tricep work we'll get closing out we'll do some punch work and all this stuff and Mm -hmm. we're like this this shouldn't be anything there and then once i hit it i hit it for free and i was like well that I did three reps at what I couldn't do at one. And I was just like, what? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just like, well, this is really, obviously that's not my roadblock anymore, but it also had, it happened in my deadlift as well with my 200, everything. So what is that? Like four, four fifty pounds or something like that. With That was a big roadblock for me. The 200 kilo is a big milestone here as well. Cause it just kind of, you're like, Oh, why can't you lift that? All the numbers say I can. Uh, it's just actually standing on, standing on a platform, just, being just being there it's 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 mm-hmm. a really odd odd feeling i don't know how I, I don't know i was just even even if you're one rep max testing or training testing i can still get nervous during that week because it's my training maxes or something like that i don't know what i i do i don't know how i overcame it to be honest i don't know if it was peer pressure from dan or it was just something <laughs> people it sounds like you. you stuck with it so yeah. you continue to okay let me work on this let me work on that let me work on all these sort of like supplemental ancillary moves and so by doing that what the message that you're sending to yourself is i believe that i am able to do this yeah. i'm just going to keep troubleshooting until it happens as opposed to creating a story like I'm a guy who's not able to do this. You know, it's just not going to happen for me or I don't have what it takes or so that the storytelling, your narrative didn't switch in this negative direction. You just kept your eyes on the prize and kept engaging in the process until it, it happened. I guess that, that links that into so a, funny. <laughs> a long, it was, long it was brilliant. It was brilliant as a friend, as a friend to sit and watch it. It yeah. was like really, I was really like, come on, I can help you do this. I can help you. Cause I think the other thing that didn't help it was the fact that I could do a hundred and I'd done like over a hundred, like done like one ten or something. And like, I think that was the other pa- other factor of it was that he was just like, God, why can't I? He was just so annoyed with himself because I could do it and he couldn't. Mm-hmm. And um, 
but like you say it's really interesting because like like we said before we came on i i touched on it and i said i think as as coaches we we do kind of deal in some kind of psychology we just don't really know about it we do have those skills somewhere inside us but we yes. just don't call them the same things that you might for example but the fact that, like you say, you know, we we broke it down. We were methodical. We didn't think Tom just sucks. We mm-hmm. thought, well, I did occasionally <laughs> say that, but we then <laughs> broke it down and we broke it down into like four week training blocks. I'm like, right, let's focus on A, B, then C, and retest, and then A, B, and C, and retest. And we always talk about it as a lot of the stuff that we do is very scientific in its method, and that's our background. Yeah. Um, and often you just have to apply those kind of principles to it, and that you have to synthesize data you then have to test and then you retest and all those kind of things you change variables and then you test again um and it it was just interesting that like you say you just said then like that's the way to do it not go oh i'm just never meant to do this i suck i'm rubbish is that uh, the fact that we the fact that when you hit you hit it you did three reps shows that you were strong enough clearly um and that once you got past that mental roadblock you actually realized that all that time you were improving your strength and actually once you hit it once you actually could have then gone on to do 105 110 probably which you did you know it went up quite quick after that point mm-hmm. um so yeah it's interesting to see that i think as coaches we do it without even thinking sometimes um we have our own methodology that is in some way psychologically in its method which is encouraging to know and what you're describing is really that scientist practitioner model right like being informed about how to manipulate the body how to use exercise physiology and then putting that into practice and creating a plan and saying like okay you didn't hit it today here's what we're going to do for the next step and i think that's really what separates you know, good trainers from great trainers is being educated and having the knowledge and then knowing how to apply that to achieve your goals. Yeah, it's cool. I hear that, Dan. We we might actually be decent trainers. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm never tempted to hear that. <laughs> so, in, in, um, so your I'm not afraid to lift workshops, we might as well talk about some of the stuff, the work you're doing with. I'm gonna get it wrong. I got it. I got it right pre-recording. Artemis, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> Artemis Scantilides. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yes. All right, nailed it. <laughs> you can say it properly now, Lisa. That's fine. Yeah. So Artemis <laughs> and I have, have been working together for I don't know, maybe coming up on a couple of years. Um, she had a seminar that she's been doing for a while called "I'm Not Afraid to Lift," yep. and really, it's designed for women. It's supposed to encourage women to strength train and and really. Artemis spent some time talking about the myths, the mythology that's out there around women's fitness and the images that women are exposed to in the media around what women should look like. And then just number one, how fun it is to strength train. Number two, how it's good for you in every single way you can imagine, no matter what your goals are. Um, And so she sought me out and said, can we add a, a, you know, mindset component or a psychological skills component to this workshop? And it's been so wonderful. Initially, I just kind of viewed myself as being a consultant who maybe come in and spoke for an hour in this eight hour day. But really, it's become a collaboration between the two of us. Um, that's really pretty close to 50 50. Uh, I'm not a trainer, so I don't do any of the instruction around teaching lifts or anything like that. Um, but just about how we talk about um, getting into strength training and enjoying it and developing goals. Um, She really just opened the seminar right up to me. And each time we do one, we've changed or edited or added what we do to it. Um, 
So we're going to take our one-day workshop, which we've been doing, and, and turn it into a three-day retreat, um, which is going to happen in May out in Arizona. And we've also asked Julia Leduski to join us, who is both a, a fitness competitor and a powerlifter. Um, so she's just a powerhouse. She's unbelievable and has a lot of knowledge around strength training, barbell training, and then also nutrition. So the the three of us will do a three-day kind of retreat, strength retreat. Um, that's called I- I'm Not Afraid to Lift the Retreat. <laughs> so the, you know, kind of on steroids version of, of what we've been doing. Awesome. Dan, you going? Obviously, we've got to make it over to Arizona at some point. Yeah, I think I should go. I, think I need to learn. I need to learn a thing or two. So <laughs> definitely can make the trip. Definitely for our American audience. Uh, yeah, definitely go go look it up if you want to go. Obviously, get in contact with Lisa. Get in contact with the site. I found it within two seconds. So um, yeah, go go. Yeah, Google. I'm not afraid to lift. You'll be able to find it. No problem. It's at the the Grand Resort in Arizona. It's a beautiful facility. There's a huge gym. So we're going to be able to do a lot of lifting. Do a lot of kettlebell work. The mindset and mental skills training that I'm going to be doing, we'll be doing at different locations around the resort and in really beautiful places. So we're very pumped about it. Cool. Awesome. With that, is there any is there any future things for your strong mind, strong body stuff? Is is that going to be take, hitting the road again or is obviously... Yes, yeah. hopefully we'll be hitting the road again. So um, I'm as of right now, I'm about four weeks out from having a baby. Um, and so Tony and I now, my, my husband, Tony Gentlecore and I, who do the workshop together, we're trying to figure out how do we continue to do this workshop plus one. <laughs> uh, and we, we love to travel and we love to work together um, and have done so a little bit and, and want to continue to do that. So right now we're just kind of trying to figure out like, what does that look like to have a baby with us? And um, we'd love to get back to London. Um, we've been invited to three different cities in, in Europe that we're wondering about if we can make it to over the summertime and a couple different places. So we don't have anything kind of like set in stone yet um, that people can sign up for, but you can stay tuned on TonyGeneralCore.com. Um, I also have a website that's in the works, so hopefully in the next couple months I'll have a site up, but we 100% intend to continue doing that. Yeah, it'll be good. Obviously, I went on the last one that we we brought you guys over at Third Space, so um, yes. we 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 didn't actually really open it up to the general public. Um, we we basically closed our doors and did all Third Space employees only. Um, hence, mm-hmm. but it was it was still full. Obviously, with the with the names of both you and Tony coming over, it was really good. Obviously, with that, I think a lot of our I guess a lot of our audience down are actual trainers or coaches themselves. Is and within your strong mind, strong body stuff, um, you gave a fair amount of advice on kind of interacting with clients. Um, is is there anything that I guess you can dip back into strong body stuff? Obviously, I took more away of the progressing more into just showing them success and regressing exercises more than anything else. Is there anything in terms of retention or getting to know your client that that was a standout point for you? Um, what I remember in particular about the seminar that, that we did at first base is that it was located in Canary Wharf and a lot of, all of the trainers there tended to work with clients who were successful in their professional life, who were type A people, um, who were very high achievers. And, and so that's a specific kind of client with which you have a a certain kind of relationship. Um, So a a general way that I would sum that up is that the relationship really that you have with your client is the most important 
tool or skill that you apply to being a trainer, how you negotiate things with them, how you're able to listen to what they're telling you and then be able to alter program design, that kind of thing. And I, I think most of the trainers that were at that seminar um, at first base really were kind of experts at understanding their clientele. Um, and a number of them said, you know, I work with people who are so successful and so in charge all day long. They come in and they're like, I want you to boss me around and kind of beat the shit out of me for the next 45 minutes um, and are very clear about that. Whereas if you're a trainer working in general population or you're working in suburbia or you're working with, um, people who are not type A or not high achievers um, or haven't had success or experience in a gym, they probably don't want to be communicated with in that way or, or treated that way. So I think knowing your population, knowing your clientele and, um, and how to use the relationship, the trust that you have between one another um, to help the person achieve their goals is really, I think that's the trick. I think, yeah, we, I think we can both return to that. We put like, obviously I, I'm more in person but I still do online coaching. Dan does a lot more. Well, just strictly does online coaching. Is that something mm-hmm. that you feel, Dan, that it's a bit tough to get across online, or obviously? Um, we both yeah, do I think it. I think with I think with modern technology, I think it's easier than people make it out to be. Um, yeah, I think that I don't think online online training is any different to personal training. No. Um, in the sense of, for me, I still I still would call it personal training for me. And the biggest thing I've said it so many times before is that. The first word's more important than the second word. Um, is that it's you're training a person, and there's someone there that you've got to interact with and speak to on a daily basis. And you know, like I said, my my clients range from fifty year old overweight women to twenty somethings that just want to get jacked. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a very different conversation I have with those people, and it's very yes. different goals they've got, and it's very different parameters from which we define success with those people. Um, the way I talk to them is very different. Like I said, with a lot of my guys, I have to almost challenge them and I have to almost give them something and be a bit blunt and to the point, like people listening will know that's kind of how I am in general, but people would also be pleased to know that 50% of my clientele are women and I don't speak to most of them that way. However, sometimes there are some women, again, who, like Lisa said, very successful women, very business-minded women who are very used to being very blunt and to the point because they're in a male-dominated environment. They actually respond to being spoken to in that way. So you have to understand the person you're talking to. Otherwise, it's pointless you even being a trainer. You have to have good social skills, first and foremost, before your before your knowledge of anatomy and physiology is even important in any to any degree. You have to understand that you're working with these people. Um, that was one thing that when I... I came from a background, um, at least for professional football or soccer. Um, and again, it's like working with guys between the age of 20 and 30. And my biggest concern when I came in was, okay, I'm now working with everyone except that age group, basically, mm-hmm. in terms of personal training in London. Um, and you know, my, my manager at the time just said, he said, look, you're dealing with people. Like, be sociable, be nice more than anything and get to know them. They, you know, they want to talk about themselves probably. Like, quite a lot of people do in, in London it's quite a common trait um and it was just something that he, he said and within six months it was kind of like it was so obvious it was like just talk to them as people make sure they're having fun and they're enjoying what they're doing and they'll come back yep and that's that's it and that's the same with online coaching is it's I'm not beating the crap out of someone online I'm not telling them they're shit and they're useless and that they're failing that's not going to get me anything um but by telling people that they're doing well and showing their success even when they don't see it themselves that's the that's the whole point of what we do mm-hmm. um and it's definitely, I think, with technology and with Skype and FaceTime and everything like that, it's a lot easier than it probably used to be. 
Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the reasons that I actually hate sending emails when I do online coaching. I just do everything face to face. I just don't mm -hmm. like sending emails because it can be read the wrong way. I just like yep. to go, this is how I'm saying it. Um, take it as you want. Um, whereas in an email, people always read it in aggressive, slightly blunt tone. It's just the way emails come across, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. So the fact that I'm smiling when I'm saying to someone like, you know, you can do better. They automatically go, right, I get it now. Okay, I'm going to be motivated to, to, to work a bit harder. Whereas if I write it on an email, they'll read it and go, oh, he's having a go at me again. And mm -hmm. that's, it's quite, it's, in a way, it's quite simple when you actually think about it. And it's so obvious. And thinking about it now, you go, oh, yeah, it's obvious. But years ago, I guess it wasn't to people. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they weren't as aware about it. And none of that is part of formal education. Everything you're describing is this very nuanced um, emotional intelligence, having social skills, being able to, what you describe is basically like manipulating how you communicate, how you use your voice, how you use your body language, um, how you use kind of like your tone when you're communicating with different kinds of clients. So all of that is unspoken. Like you've learned that just from being a human being that wasn't in any of the textbooks about you know, nutrition or strength training or, or any of that. And I, I think sometimes that stuff gets missed when people are trying to improve themselves as trainers or as being someone in the helping professions. Yeah. A lot of people, cause a lot of people come to, to me and, and they've asked Tom before as well. I know, you know, they go, Oh, what qualifications do you think I should get if I want to be a trainer? Or what do you think I should, what route should I go down? And, and I, like I said, I've got a degree, a master's degree and the amount of people that say to me, I want to be a trainer. What should I do? Um, I don't say to them, go and do a master's degree like I did. That's that's because I wanted to go into football. That's why I needed that. But actually, if mm -hmm. I was to be a trainer now, I'd go, look, like, you just need to know people. Like, go and learn about people. And the best thing you can do is just get experience, just get in front yeah. of people, offer your services for not a lot of money initially if you haven't got the qualifications, just to get the experience, to be in front of people and understand them. Because that's where, unfortunately, formal education, it just lets a lot of people down in the world. And, and I think if you listen to anyone out there who knows what they're talking about in terms of marketing especially like um gary vaynerchuk's obviously huge he, he talks about it a lot he's like you know schools are just failing people they're not really helping them in any way to communicate mm. with the world and it's so true as a trainer in the fitness industry is that unfortunately the way it is the loudest noises with the biggest reputations get the most clients whether they're good at what they do or not is, is irrelevant because they're unfortunately getting the people in because they can talk to them they can relate to them yes and they speak their language and it's up to us guys i think who maybe i'm not including myself i'm gonna talk about tom <laughs> people like tom who are educated and who are really good at what they do to shout about it and go no look we are good at what we do i can help you and put themselves out there a little bit more and that's something that we all are unfortunately bad at because of our formal education it's only now i think we're kind of catching up with that and going actually no look we do understand people we 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 have worked with people and we're not just people that are stuck in textbooks all day every day and i think you have to show that um on social media and, and the way you portray yourself is it has to be i'm a person i'm not just i'm not just daniel meek bsc msc it's not no one yeah. cares um i think that's that's where i think the the crowd of people in the fitness industry who know what they're doing unfortunately aren't that great at putting that across in, in the right promoting way promoting themselves uh, yeah yeah i guess i guess with with that i mean backtracking slightly on on the further education front obviously i've been a big shouting of it advocation of doing further education because I, I i i think even speaking to dean somerset when he came over a couple of years ago he only did his bachelor's degree because he wanted a certain amount of uh, credibility and that was it mm -hmm. he was like i haven't learned mm -hmm. anything from it but it puts you just at that next level that you're like, oh, he's done, he's done that level of study. Then he probably knows about this. And exactly, that's exactly, I do a lot of employment for 
third space as well and it's something that i look for because i mm-hmm. i feel like i don't have to check i don't have to go and do the research on that person i think for that it's fine and it and also obviously you've we've both done masters you've done your doctorate it changes the way you think about certain things so thinking critically about some how yes. somebody's talk like said something or an article is a hell of a lot better i would say that is the biggest takeaway from the further education and kind of classical education that we've had is thinking a little bit why what if this happened why did that happen why did they write it like that not just oh i've taken that that was a conclusion oh wonderful let's take it home um i think mm-hmm. just learning that skill um possibly as a trainer um is probably one of the biggest things you can take away on especially now on social media and i know tony is on there a hell of a lot and he does a lot of stuff on there so mm-hmm. he he manages to pick out lots of cool stuff and put them together and i've obviously tony's uh, lisa's husband but go look out for his he does like a weekly roundup of uh, basically cool things he's seen uh, he's been reading i think it's he calls it like stuff you're meant to be doing whilst you're working or stuff you're meant to read whilst you're working or sitting on the toilet basically mm-hmm. one of his articles so. <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right for him so yeah i i think that's one of the uh the biggest things i can take away from the classical education side i i'm still going to be an advocate of it but there's nothing more important than i've i obviously learned a hell of a lot more on just um just being in front of people so i think that's the biggest thing yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely, I think you do have to marry the two together without a doubt. But it's when people come who do have that kind of BSc, maybe or they do have some kind of education. They then ask that question of like, what extra should I do? And yep. it's sometimes they're always looking for, oh, I want to learn more about anatomy or more about physiology. And it's like, actually, mm-hmm. there's really no need. Like you actually <laughs> now need to learn maybe how to run a business and how to kind of talk to people. And that's the aspect, I think, that the the what we call maybe evidence based crowd um are unfortunately lacking compared to like the gurus. That's what the gurus do. The gurus <laughs> like are marketing machines. That's why they're where they are. Um, and that's kind of where I think we need to get to in, in a certain way. And it's to have that foundation like we all talk about in everything, in training, nutrition, you have a foundation. You don't focus on the top of the pyramid first. You focus on the bottom bit. And often people are trying to make those steps and they think, and the top bit is like the extra few little qualifi- you know, qualifications that might be, further anatomy further physiology but actually maybe the next block up from the foundation knowledge is actually be sociable and speak to people and just get in front of people and you'll learn a hell of a lot more than if you just go into the top of the pyramid and do an extra qualification it's going to cost you a bit more money but actually you can't talk to people yet so you're not going to apply that information um that, that i think is where people need to think about it in terms of the degrees of like you said we also about the pyramid and getting the building blocks sorted first and then worrying about the tiny little bits on top at the end whereas people just try and jump to the top unfortunately <laughs> mm-hmm. on the back of that lisa um is there anything so if there are anything psychologically you'd recommend obviously not <laughs> in terms of practice but any kind of courses or any kind of reading any kind of social media follows any kind of people that you look up to or you've taken cool knowledge from is there anybody that um we should be reading their stuff we, sh- we should be listening to them psychologically speaking i think i think yeah uh, so <laughs> from psychological yeah, point of view 
where I point people to the most is uh, positive psychology. This is a, an area of psychology that became very popular in the 90s. So earlier I spoke about the difference between clinical psychology, which is like taking something broken and fixing it so it's baseline, and counseling psychology or positive psychology, which is like taking normal and, and helping it to thrive and be happy and do better, really. So positive psychology uh, is an area that focuses on improving something from good to better or best or getting the optimal out of out of life. So things like um, goal achievement, uh, for example. So there's a, a few authors that I recommend. One is Barbara Fredrickson. And Barbara Fredrickson um, is responsible for the broaden and build theory of emotions, which basically the basic tenet is when people are happy and they're feeling productive and they're engaged and they're enjoying life, they perform much better and they achieve much more than if they're unhappy and stressed out and miserable. Uh, she wrote a book recently called Positivity. And I think Positivity is an excellent book. It's for the layperson. It's not um, a peer-reviewed journal or something that's very technical. Um, so that's a great book. I always love Flow from uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. And Flow is, I think, a, a term that's gotten into popular culture. It's like being in the zone. Um, Csikszentmihalyi initially was studying artists and creativity and what helps people to really um, enjoy the creative process. And over time, he started studying different kinds of people um, including athletes, um, and and really found that p when people are in flow, they tend to have the best outcomes. They tend to have kind of the highest ratings of well-being. Um, and so his his overall philosophy is, you know, happiness isn't laying on the beach having a cocktail or it's not having nothing to do. It's having something to do that you feel that you're good at and that you want to improve on. Uh, and so that it's important to have goals and, and to pursue things in life. So those are two authors that I kind of lean on a lot and would recommend to people because even if you're not um, a psychologist or even if you don't want to read stuff that's really dry, those would yeah. still be entertaining reads. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Anything more to add, Dan? Is there any? No, go. <laughs> no, no, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing from that point of view. I was just going to ask you, Tom, if there was any more heavy stuff you wanted to ask, or whether we should um, put Leash on the spot with some lighter questions. <laughs> um, there's, no, there's nothing more heavy. I guess we can we can cap it. Psychology kind of talk um, and kind of heavy coaching training ish talk because uh, obviously if you have any questions for Lisa at all when this comes out um, please don't hesitate to contact me Dan or go reach out to I'm, I'm just shooting in the dark here I'm sure Lisa will ask her a question um, obviously if, if she's got a by this time this comes out she might have a new little kid so she might be a little bit busy um <laughs> so but, but, but me and me and dan will quite happily pass the information on to lisa no worries that would be absolutely fine um so yes um obviously our listenership is heavily based in the uk but um everybody mm -hmm. in the uk will yeah just get on lisa's stuff and uh, go hunt out some work she's been doing um, but just just one more thing because I did I said previously before recording I wanted to touch on it because I'm currently training two pregnant ladies. Dan has, mm -hmm. Dan has had a pregnant lady in his life because he's got a kid and a girlfriend. Um, and <laughs> Lisa is pregnant and she said she's four weeks away. So obviously being married to one of the leading strength coaches in the world is obviously 
a good thing training wise um and you can it's help a perk <laughs> um i refuse to train my girlfriend so um that's the something that <laughs> basically she doesn't like the way i she doesn't like the way i talk to people when i'm training them i think uh is i don't think she, she's a she's a health psychologist as well so it's just it's just there i totally understand yeah. that when <laughs> i first started dating i was really not having it's it just like, yeah, um, it's, it's not a so thing. over time we've learned we've learned how to make it work i would say he's more of a distance coach yeah. than he is an in-person coach uh, lately i've been going to his facility to train once a week just to get some eyes on but um, I totally understand where your partner is coming from. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what has been your kind of, obviously you've got trimester one, two, three. Um, what's been your thing you've been doing? What have you been doing training whilst in pregnancy? Obviously you're a big advocate tra- strength tra- uh, training, but what is yeah. there anything, anything you've been doing differently or anything you've been doing like not as much or what's, what's been the yeah. plan? I think the one thing that's changed about the way that I think about training is I do not want to hurt myself. So I want to stay as strong as possible um, and be able to train as long as possible, um, (coughs) excuse me, up until I have the baby. And then I want to be back in the gym as soon as possible. So I think that my focus kind of switched from prior to finding out I was pregnant, I was trying to get after a 300 pound deadlift um, and was more focused on like volume and increasing my numbers and kind of getting after it. And then I switched to like, okay, how do I keep myself as healthy and stable and mobile as possible and avoid any injury from happening so I can just consistently be going to the gym. And and what that ends up looking like is prior to finding out I was pregnant, I was horrible at doing my warm up stuff, um, at at doing my, you know, my bird dogs and my dead bugs and those kinds of things. And then after I, I was much more compliant with those kinds of exercises in my training and, and getting my work up, my workout, I'm sorry, my warm up done and doing my foam rolling and that sort of stuff. So not anything very sexy. Um, but I would say that's the main way that it's changed. Yeah. And, and then just coming into Tony's gym once a week so that I can get some eyes on with my form. I think mainly to make sure I'm not doing anything that's going to piss off any of my joints or tweak anything or hurt anything, um, has really kind of kept me on track. It makes me feel awesome to strength train. I mean, before I was pregnant, of course I loved it too, but I, I really feel like I've had a easy pregnancy compared to what I've seen other women go through. I really haven't had any issues. So part of me wants to chalk that up to being consistent with my weight training. I also am a spin instructor. So I teach an hour of spin on Friday mornings and two hours in a row on Saturday mornings. And I'm still doing that. Um, and I, I think that staying consistent with both those aspects of my training have helped me to feel really good. Dan, with Laura, was there anything that she changed? Um, uh, not, uh, y- yeah, I guess in the end, she's obviously, she's quite short. She's like five one, if that. Um, so for her, I think it was a lot more, mobility was a bit more of an issue. Um, and she didn't show all that much. Um, but Isabel was like eight and a half pounds, I think. So um, there's this whole theory game, and we talked about it actually before. Me and Laura talked about it before, is that, she used. To, she obviously had very very strong core, and my theory is that because she had such a strong core, it was almost like holding the baby in and like pushing it right back. Um, so she did have like back pain and occasionally and things like that, but I think that was more to do with the fact that she was just so compact because her core was so tight. Um, mm-hmm. 
and like I said, I think because she had a background in being so fit and healthy and training for so long, um, like yourself, Lisa, is that after pregnancy, she actually, I think within four weeks, she was just like snapped straight back into how she looked and she was obviously really happy with that. But um, awesome, yeah. I, think, I think there's that benefit of training for so long before you get pregnant and you just keep that going. And she trained uh, right up until... Um, like eight weeks to go I think even like in you know in the third trimester for four weeks it was only body weight stuff around the house but that's just right. that's all she could do but again it was a case of she had to maybe move her uh, knees a bit wider when she was doing some squats because she couldn't move but <laughs> other than that it wasn't really like all that different she just lowered the weights a little bit yeah um, but very much it was just a case of blood pressure didn't go too crazily high and stuff like that um, yes and she just found it was it was okay doing that and within like I said within four weeks she was back doing all the core work that you described there Lisa it, you know in the, in the front room when she had the energy um so that was like once a week maybe but still it, it helped her get back into things and yeah. it's only really now I think that she's back into like four times a week in the gym training heavy again because her body just changed so much and you know I think without going into too much detail the joints get weaker and they get um they become more lax because obviously you need mm -hmm. to push baby out of you. So mm -hmm. uh, all those things happen and they don't just happen in one place. It happens all over your body. So she found yeah. that it just took a while to, to get that strength back. And then also after that is finding the energy to actually train after that is, is quite hard. Yeah. Not a lot of sleep. So they're the challenges you'll face, I'm sure, you know, coming up, but it's, I, I still have to explain to her now is that she's not the athlete she once was um because of it and, and she's trying to now do six times a week training and mm -hmm. she used to compete in bikini competitions and she's like oh i'm gonna do it again you know in four months i'm like no you're not you need to take a step <laughs> back and go right you know you're, you're starting from scratch again almost for her she's mm -hmm. she's starting from scratch again so for her it's exciting from that point of view but again it comes back down to almost realigning those goals and going right i'm gonna now four times a week is enough for her because she's deconditioned to compare to where she was and that's because the last year has just been challenging in terms of, like, say, energy and finding the time to do it. Um, but okay. in terms of actually a programming, there's not all that much that changes um, from what she did. No, I think that's that's one of the experiences that I've had as well. I think, obviously, I've, I'm coming at it from just training. Uh, I haven't been able to live with, obviously, being pregnant or a pregnant girlfriend. Um, so I just see them for the hour and then give them advice, mm -hmm. like, three times a week. Um, in terms of... My my general rule was just don't do anything that you haven't done before during this time. Um, is we're not going to be going crazy, obviously, but just let's stick to stuff that you know you can do. Um, mm -hmm. But but it doesn't mean you can't lift a barbell up. It doesn't mean you can't have a barbell somewhere or dumbbells, etc. Doing some what is not the most progressive strength training, but it's still strength training nonetheless. And I think as trainers, we get very. Uh, blown away by maybe <laughs> for the, the lack of a better kind of uh, way of saying it but doctors will scare uh, people and trainers into oh, yeah. basically being no you shouldn't be training when you're pregnant at all so I'm currently training an Indian lady who's gone back to India and she's actually had to take all of my programming back with her she has a trainer out there but she was like yeah he'll tell me not to train and I'll be like well that's wrong because um, when you come back here you're going to be training with me straight away um so it's it's very very odd so i think some of the some of the research and some of the uh stuff that's out there for the general population is is it's not wrong but it's to be taken um for basically being personalized so if you feel like you're fine doing it the chances are you're probably fine doing it um that's that's just me speaking as a trainer who's training 
a pregnant lady nothing to do with yeah nothing else so <laughs> not qualified mm-hmm. at all um yeah that's okay <laughs> awesome should we should we do some lighter questions dan some lighter stuff <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, it's just got a bit heavy, isn't it? I just yeah, think we I need some. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna go with the first one, just because uh, it's on my mind later on tonight <laughs> when I go out for dinner. What's your favorite milkshake? Milkshake. Yeah, not like just <laughs> like vanilla or chocolate. Like, imagine you could have made the most amazing milkshake in the world. What would you put in it? <laughs> um. Oh my gosh. You did say you put it on the spot. <laughs> I know it's totally on the spot. Well, milk doesn't agree with me, so it would have to be some like coconut milk, non-dairy oh, wow. amalgamation, which would probably involve like a bunch of little crunchy things in it, like little Heath bar pieces or Reese's. Anything involving peanut butter, I typically yeah. love. So yeah, you got the top answer there anyway. You got peanut butter. Yes, me and Tom. Are, me and Tom are fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> peanut butter would be fine. I did have a uh, peanut butter Five Guys milkshake last week, which. Yeah. Again, it's great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how people can. Obviously, you, you get drawn in by the uh, by the machine that does a billion different uh, drinks, like a hundred plus or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I I still go for the milkshake, if, even if that's just I went double burger milkshake, no fries is is the order of choice. Um, and Dan agrees with us, right? It's about yeah, right. hell yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, off season. I mean, off season, mate. <laughs> powerlifting, <laughs> powerlifting doesn't matter. So. Um, I guess let's go. Uh, are you a fan of eggs? Yes. Eggs. I love favorite. Eggs. What's your favorite egg preparation? This is... I like over very very easy, so okay. that I can dip something in my egg yolk. Okay, this is this is a, just a topic that I had with my family, and my dad does not have a uh, favorite egg preparation, which I I no, I, fa- I fail to believe. <laughs> like, no, everyone's got a favorite. They go like I, this was on the discussion of I'm not a massive fan of omelets. I don't get why will you make an omelet if you could make something else. And um, there's plenty of other options, but I don't know. That's that, omelet seems to be a big trend in the fitness industry for just whacking a load uh, of I stuff am. in it. But it's it's boring, right? It's just. Yeah. My husband eats a giant omelet like, yeah, every go. single yeah. morning. And sometimes for dinner, he's like, oh, don't worry about making dinner. I'll just, just make an omelet. omelet yeah. yeah, he loves omelets. <laughs> weird. Topical, topical nutrition question for you, Lisa. Have you had any weird cravings? Oh, yeah. More in the first trimester. The first trimester, there was some weird stuff going on. I had like a, a good four or five day span where I could not stop thinking about fish sticks. And I honestly can't tell you the last time I had a fish stick. It was probably when I was like 10 years old or something like that. But um, I did I did want to eat liver one day. I did go out and buy chicken livers. I did. Um, God, what other weird. I, I, I went through a hot sauce phase that lasted we probably had tacos every single night for dinner for like three weeks straight. <laughs> Tony would come home and be like, tacos? Because yeah. uh, there was always tacos with a lot of hot sauce. And then when it got to the fish stick phase, I went to the store. I picked up the box. I looked at like the list of ingredients. And I was like, no, I have to tap out. I, I cannot I cannot purchase and eat fish sticks. <laughs> so I drew the line there. But um, yeah, like now I crave things that make sense to me, like red meat. Um, um, a lot of fruit, bananas are like never anything I cared about before. And now I want to, I want to have a banana every day, but those kinds of things make sense to me based on, they're just like nutritionally dense Mm. foods that have a lot to offer. What's your favorite cut of steak? Ooh, my go-to, my go-to is the filet mignon if we're somewhere really nice, but I also like like a strip steak or a hanger steak. 
something like that. Usually something that's pretty lean. I feel like this question has already been answered, but I think it's one we always come back to. If you had to eat the the flesh of uh, just one animal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Would it be? It would what, probably be. You'd probably go beef. Probably beef. Yeah. Cow. Missing out. Another thing. But everyone always, everyone always everyone says, says this beef. without yeah. thinking. Yeah, we always we go swine. I would go pig. Pig. You would? Every day. Yeah. Such variety in a pig. Mm. Yeah, That's you, true. You got no bacon. A bacon's a gammon steaks, a pig. pork steak. chops, yeah, loin, but shoulder. But one thing that I love to eat and actually sought out a lot in my first trimester is bone marrow. I don't know okay. if you can eat marrow from a pig, but marrow <laughs> typically when I have it is beef. And I just think that's like one of the best things on yeah. earth that there yeah, is that to is eat. Good. Mm. That is good. That'd be solid. But, and then on the back of that, I guess leading up to what will hopefully be next December when this, well, when we talk about this, cause we had a, basically we had our awards show on the last show and, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> what is your favorite protein bar? Is there a favorite protein bar that, um, mm. in the States? I'll have to say Quest. I know that that's not very Ooh, there we go. exciting. You guys have Quest bars yeah, there, right? Yeah, we do. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's a raspberry cheesecake one that I really like. They're not just they're really chewy, though. Like, yeah, the, yeah. Nah. They didn't make the cut yeah. for. Uh, well, did, did, no, no. Do they do? Do they have? Do they have um, a company called Grenade in America? I think they're just branching out there now. They're called. Not Car- that I can think oh, of. Good. Tony's a lot more into protein bars than I am, so mm. I. So I think I know <laughs> less. Yeah, they'll probably have well, better the other ones. The, the other one the, the Americans have is the Cliff Builder bars. They're good. Cliff Builder and bars. Cliff's are nice. just. I would rather eat a meal than yeah, eat no. a yeah a Cliff Builder yeah. bar. So I've had bites. Of, <laughs> I've had bites of Tony's bars before. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I haven't like eaten a lot of those. <laughs> So off the back of your uh, training as well, also that featured in the pulleys, what is your favorite free weight exercise? My favorite? I love the bench press. Yeah. Um, Tom doesn't. <laughs> we've, we've established that. I love that, the bench yeah. press and actually it stayed pretty strong throughout my pregnancy. So I was just, I don't know what the kilo equivalent is, but I've been doing reps at, at 145, 135. Cool. Um, Strong. even as recently as this week so those still feel really awesome stronger um, than tom too yeah i know it's, it's <laughs> kind of <laughs> with, with those numbers as well because if you mentioned your deadlift is, is there any plan to compete at any point gosh um i don't know i i guess my life would have to look a little bit yeah. different i mean right now i train at like six o'clock in the morning before i go to work and i can't see you're kind of limited when it's that early in the morning and you've just like opened your eyeballs and you're fasted. And I think in some ways I'm limited. I'm not, you know, training at a time of day when I have more energy or more time or so not that it's like out of the question. It's definitely not something that's at the top of my list, but maybe one day in the future, if I'm not working like full time and then having a private practice and then, you know, all this other stuff, maybe it would be an option. Be cool. It'd be good. I think we, we both did it for the sake of, um, we wanted to know what it felt like the whole day and prep week and everything like that yeah. for our clients. Yeah. So we, it was, yeah, it was just eye opening for that. I, could, I totally balls up my prep week. So, and I'll redo it again. So, <laughs> he didn't listen. He didn't listen to me. That <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, about that. Um, yeah. Anything else, Dan? We want to cover, or we, uh, we're good. 
No, I think we're good. I think, um, yeah. Thanks for coming on, Lisa. It's been a it's been a great show. It's been nice oh, to get to know you. And hopefully, we'll get you we'll get you on again at some point. Yeah, probably like maybe not. Back. Probably maybe not in the next sort of three or four months because you'll be extremely busy and sleep deprived. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch up. Hopefully After I'm out of zombie mode, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. on the back of that, is there anything? So obviously, we've we've tried to heavily plug your uh, your workshops and stuff before because uh they are good and even if if either me or dan have been to one that proves it's good as far as we're concerned and hopefully our listenership will know that um there is there um any kind of social media or any kind of links or any follows that you for yourself that you want to plug right now anything that you should be taking up yeah i'm on facebook lisa lewis i'm on instagram uh l-i-l-e-w 13 and i have a website that is in under construction right now so keep your eyes open for that i'm sure that tony will be plugging that um a lot when it does come out so if you look at tonygentlecore.com just keep your eye on that or on my facebook page um so yeah you can check out any of those things (laughs) yeah obviously if you've got any questions about anything we've covered in the podcast or anything Mm -hmm. anything else uh, don't be scared to give lisa a shout or give me and dan a shout and we will uh, contact her absolutely fine with that and we hope that it's been a pleasant experience for you obviously uh it's probably probably uh one of the yeah hopefully people will take away the most from this this podcast probably the uh most informative guest we've probably ever had um so (laughs) especially from a field that we we both don't we will never say we're experts in so we we can Mm. speak anecdotally and very badly about it so Hopefully, uh, hopefully the guys uh, who are listening to this take as much away as possible, right, Dan? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's a field that I know nothing about, but respect hugely. Um, just like it's just there's nothing more to say really, other than yeah. Just um, I think everyone can take something from what you've um, what you've spoken about, and I think what you talk about. Um, sorry, when you talk about positivity a lot, I think that's the key. Is it's it's very easy to be negative. Um, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the easy option I think that's the way it's, it's very easy to be like that and you've just got to you've just got to see the positive in everything you, you do and like you say every every time you you don't quite make a lift or you don't quite make um, you know a placing in a competition is it's just a chance to improve and, and don't get too too down on it and I think mm-hmm. um, your views on being positive are definitely going to strike a chord with everyone and something that they can they can help their own clients with as well because I think it's, it's definitely a huge thing is that you know as a trainer you need to be bringing positivity into people's lives you don't want to be you don't want them to turn up to training feeling like they're gonna hate the next hour they should be enjoying it and they should feel good when they leave the gym mm-hmm. um, so yeah so that's that's absolutely. great absolutely awesome guys well thanks so guys awesome um well so this was probably this definitely was the first episode that came out um Happy New Year to everyone. The, Happy New uh, Year, everyone, yeah. yeah Happy everyone. New Year. <laughs> this is it's now January. Um, episode 51 is now in the books. Um, so go check out, obviously, all the Facebook, Instagram. Uh, go check out Teambox. Any any announcements Teambox-wise that um, Mr. Dan Meek's doing? No, 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 no nothing, Just nothing. Same as, same as 2017 and 2016. <laughs> Just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> Pushball Legs will have some uh, fun... Uh, Fun stuff. Hopefully, workshops coming up in the uh, in the summer, so there will be interesting. Um, obviously, more London based. Hopefully, and I think um, we will have a private Facebook group just for listeners. So, if you want to become part of that Facebook group, um, just hunt me or Dan out, and because we're getting a lot of 
people apply to be in our client Facebook group and you have to be our client to be in there. So um, <laughs> that doesn't come free. Um, so we're going to open up a uh, free one, but it will be closed. Um, just we'll, we'll be doing some cool stuff in there every now and again. So and obviously it gives a chance to interact with everybody that wants to listen to the show or is listening to the show, hopefully. Okay, so thanks for coming on, Lisa. Thanks again, Dan. And Thanks uh, very much. <laughs> take care, guys.